welcome back to this podcast series from the Utrecht Young Academy. The Utrecht Young Academy brings together a diverse group of young academics who openly exchange critical perspectives on academia, policy and society. In this episode, I will talk to Associate Professor in Public Management Lars Tammers. In a pleasantly sunny summer day, I sat with Lars in Sterrenburg in the center of Utrecht. And we talked about job autonomy, his research on policy alienation and his vision on open science. I'm Charlie Fayez and this is the voice of Utrecht Young Academy. I teach public management, but in a way, I'm also myself a, a, a public manager, of course, because I uh, supervise together with uh, full professors, uh, PhD students, but also uh, 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 research master students, master students, bachelor students. In my research, I also study, for instance, if you give people more autonomy, um, do they become uh, more energetic? Do they get more energy? And what we see is if we give people more autonomy and we communicate better what the goals are that they really feel more alive and they uh, and that has been linked to a higher job performance so if you give people more autonomy in the end it can uh, also be beneficial for the person himself or herself but also for the organization what i appreciate most about being academic is the autonomy uh, you have in your work and the long-term focus. So I was previously was a consultant at PricewaterhouseCoopers, PwC. I enjoyed that a lot. I also worked with wonderful uh, people, people who are very intelligent, both in a, in a social uh, way, but also uh, intellectually. Um, but the downside for me for that kind of work was it that it was quite short-term focus. It was a lot of uh, focus on short-term um, uh, profitability. Uh, that so you had to have a number of billable hours and uh, short-term uh, uh, sales. Uh, in that way, in my PhD, for instance, I can work for four years on a topic and really have a far longer-lasting impact than only jumping for, uh, from sales to sales. So autonomy and long-term focus, I uh, uh, truly enjoy. So you think you have now enough autonomy uh, in your position? I think I have an extreme amount of autonomy. On a day-to-day basis, I start uh, around uh, 8 o'clock. I start uh, with a cup of coffee and uh, working mostly uh, at home the first few hours um, because I then can focus very well on, for instance, preparing my education, writing articles or books or uh, reading articles by uh, other academics. Uh, Most of the time also read pieces of students or PhD students I supervise. So that's mostly the morning and in the afternoon I either teach or I have meetings, uh, meetings outside with, uh, for instance, uh, uh, ministries or meetings with students, meeting with PhD students. Uh, And in that way I set up my day that I uh, can uh, do it most effectively. So you are a very organized person. I think I'm an extremely organized person. I think it's also uh, important uh, to do that if you have quite a a senior position at the university that many people also rely on you. So students rely on you. I coordinate together with another professor, the research master. I have uh, 12 PhD students. Uh, I uh, co-supervise. And I also want to uh, achieve a lot uh, academically. So that's that's quite a busy life already for me. So what is most important in your life? Most important is my, my family, my health and my work. 
I never want to regret that I did not uh, spend enough time with them. So uh, most of the time I stop at like 5.30, I get up, uh, uh, I get uh, my kids and I uh, sometimes eat with them or and I get them to bed. And um, on, on Saturday, for instance, uh, we never work. Uh, I think many people also feel um, high work pressure and they say they're busy, but it's most of the time also um, uh, linked to uh, that they want to achieve a lot. So they want to um, uh, be a really good uh, teacher, which is of course very important. They want to uh, publish articles, they want to uh, uh, get grants, they want to uh, be on television to uh, to speak about their research, they want to write opinion articles. So it's it's it is some of it is of course self-imposed work pressure. But you also want a lot. You just said. Yes, I also want a lot. So, uh, but I um, I also acknowledge that I uh, uh, have that. So, if you know for yourself that most of the work pressure is self-imposed, it's uh, it's easier to uh, relieve it. So, there's a really nice book I'm now reading uh, by the psychologist um, from Princeton, um, Elder Shafir, and um, uh, economist from uh, Harvard. Um, Mulatanian, I don't really know how to pronounce his name. It's about scarcity. It's about why are the uh, poor poor? Why are the busy busy? And one of the reasons is um, that um, they feel that um, they tunnel, so they focus a lot of uh, on work. So that becomes really important, and then that that um, um, it devotes their mind a lot. But the difference between being a, a resource scarce in terms of time and money scarce is that. We can, as academics, we can free up some time just to say, okay, I will be somewhat less ambitious this year. I will not go for that grant. I will go to one conference less. Um, I will, will publish nothing this year. I will read more. So we can relieve some stress from our own uh, work, I would say. You earlier mentioned that you work quite organized and quite hard because you like it. But uh, do you also think of satisfaction? Where do you get it from? Yeah, that's a very nice question. One of the things I get a lot of satisfaction from is uh, supervising uh, uh, PhD students. So I really like um, the uh, to to help them and to really work together with them uh, on real innovative new products. Um, not only in terms of m f moving science, but also developing persons. So really see people change and people try to overcome their barriers. Some people are really intelligent, but are, for instance, not really good at networking. So how can you help them to also develop a network outside their own uh, department? So supervising PhD students is one of, for me, is is a really interesting uh, uh, part of my work. Another interesting part of my work is um, is is uh, what I would call like uh, like developing new concepts. So um, uh, so I developed a concept together with my professors on policy alienation, like problems uh, professionals have with the uh, the policy uh, policies they have to implement. So developing such a concept, and then first of all, for I thought like, okay, this is like before my PhD defense, thought oh, this is crazy, like it doesn't make any sense, and just like a few hours before. Uh, and this is really a weak thesis, but I was really stressed, of course. And then later on, I saw that um, um, uh, that uh, it could have an effect also on society and on how people understood problems. For instance, in education, there's a large problem that many teachers cannot identify with the policies they have to implement. They feel that the, the government and the ministry and the politicians do not understand how it is to be in a classroom. 
And um, so we then uh, do a PhD uh, uh, trajectory together with the ministry where uh, the PhD student, in this case Nadine van Engen, she worked uh, three days a week at the ministry and two days a week at our uh, university. And um, uh, then really can very much also apply the knowledge that she generates more fundamentally um, um, to uh, practical policy problems. So there was a protest uh, of teachers just a few weeks ago uh, for one day. Uh, why do you think the teachers think uh, that their situation or the policies imposed on them are not realistic or are not effective? I think there are, of course, a variety of reasons why that is the case. But uh, one of the main reasons we found over and over again was uh, what we would call policy inconsistency. That means that uh, there comes a new ministry or not a new state uh, secretary and he or she thinks, OK, I have a new agenda. I have four years. I'm going to uh, do something new. I'm going to change uh, the rules. I'm going to implement a new type of uh, test within higher education or within uh, primary education. And then the teachers there they think okay that's another one. Oh, it's another one oh it will last for probably two years and then it will go over and uh, and we'll stop so we we, uh, we just lie low we don't do anything we're not really implementing it also very well because well it, it will change anyway so they feel that there's so much inconsistency that uh, they uh, think okay I, I should not invest my time in this so that's 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 I think one of the primary reasons. A second uh, a reason is that uh, many um, uh, teachers feel that uh, public policies focus on uh, economic values such as e uh, uh, efficiency and reduction of costs, which in their view is not uh, aligned with the values they have as a teacher. As a teacher you want to educate uh, children, you want to develop them into responsible citizens, you want to teach them math but also more general uh, skills. So cost cutting is not really I, they know it's important, but it's also not really by definition something they, they would strive for. So the values from public policies are not always aligned with the values from the professionals they have to uh, implement. Is it not partly because of uh, the tension of uh, quantifying things so we can measure? What's the effect of that? Yeah, that's uh, that's exactly uh, that's also exactly the case. That's one of the that's the third reason I also uh, always have. It's focus on quantifiable targets and not on uh, uh, f uh, like real true uh, outcomes. So the the primary simplest example is a police officer who will get uh, rewarded by the number of tickets he or she uh, uh, rides, uh, but not on increasing objective or subjective safety in the streets. So um, there you have then what Robert Merton, sociologist, would call goal displacement. So the goal would not be to increase safety, but the goal would be to increase uh, the number uh, of tickets you write or get a minimal amount of tickets. You also see the academia. We just discussed it also uh, before. Some um, people have targets like writing three articles a year, which is in a way it's, it's, it's a, n a nonsensical target because it's, about the, it's not about the quantity of the uh, articles. It's about the quality of the articles and the impact the uh, article has. But for people who, um, yeah, they, uh, so what you call it, what gets measured, uh, um, uh, if you measure it, they score. So if you get uh, certain measures, like you have to do three articles here, people are going to um, um, focus on these uh, goals. 
but they don't feel particularly aligned uh, uh, with goals. There's even a crazy story about a Polish um, police officer. Um, he was uh, he had to fa- uh, give minimally one fine a day of 20 slotty, and uh, otherwise he would face a pay cut. And what he then did is uh, he did not feel aligned with that policy at all. So he gave himself a fine each day for walking on the railway line. That, that's, that's, of course, a, a crazy story that shows that, that such um, goals can truly backfire and have no meaning at all. There is a statement uh, from a famous uh, consultant that says what you cannot measure, you cannot manage. What do you feel about that? Yeah, and there's also a famous uh, statement uh, by uh, by Einstein, uh, who said, um, uh, "Not not everything what uh, uh, not everything that can be counted counts, and not everything that counts can be counted." So I would I would uh, go that against that famous uh, uh, management consultant, maybe even a little bit less famous than Einstein. So you don't agree with that? You if you cannot measure, you cannot manage. No, I would say that uh, that's also a question, what is measurement? But um, I think you have to have like a, a, a robust discussion with your um, employees about um, how they add value uh, to the organization or to science. So um, if, it, if, it's only, if it's too much only on numbers and, and, and counting, I think uh, it will have a lot of perverse effects. We also see that. Uh, uh, we see that, um, uh, of course, we see that in, in uh, academia, but we we'll also see that in the police where they stopped with those uh, uh, quo- uh, quotas for, for, um, for tickets. So um, I think um, more a holistic discussion is uh, very important. doesn't mean that um, it's everything is okay, so it's a fire armor, anything goes, but it's far more about, okay, you have not, uh, uh, your test scores for your students are uh, quite low. Why is that the case? And uh, it, it, it could be the case that um, they are in a really deprived neighborhood, so then it's really hard to, to uh, uh, lift them up, but it could also be the case that uh, a teacher has been ill for some time, or it could be the case that the teacher feels overburdened and takes on far too many extra additional um, um, things to do when um, he or she should focus on the children. So instead of saying, okay, you're performing w- uh, uh, bad, you should uh, be fired or whatever, you should get the story behind the numbers and and um, try to improve from there i would say uh, just a side note it's funny that i bring a code from a manager and i'm a physicist and you bring a code from a physicist <laughs> yeah, that's true that's true yeah that's a cool one yeah yeah by the way that famous statement i mentioned is attributed in different forms to peter ferdinand drucker drucker has been described in the forbes magazine as the founder of modern management He has also coined the term knowledge worker. I tried to find the original source for this specific statement, but I could not find it. Instead, I found several blog posts, including one from the Drucker's Institute, that he actually never said that, and this statement is in contradiction with the other things he has written in his books. So I note to myself, be more careful in using famous quotes, as they might be fake. Next, I ask Lars how can the university counter the perverse effects of quantitative measures? Um, what I would think uh, is one of the, uh, the main problems that uh, universities face is um, that they are um, also in a 
particular uh, market or field of other universities. So you as a department would say like, okay, I don't really count, uh, care about the number of publications uh, that you as a scholar write or what type of journal they are published in. I uh, think it's far more important that you write maybe one or two articles and that you really uh, get in touch with society. You work with organizations to implement it, to test it. Um, and you work with students to get them involved and it may take far longer, you may publish far less, but in the end that's far more beneficial for uh, society. The problem then is that how employable are those uh, students in other departments at other universities. So um, that's what you call a collective action uh, uh, problem. So we would all want to change but um, we feel that if I would change uh, and the rest would not change, I would be very much disadvantaged. So I think many um, uh, universities are struggling with that uh, question and also something we had, so uh, you, uh, Sanli, and uh, I, and together with others, are working on is the topic of open science and a collective action problem is also exactly there. So everyone thinks it's bad to only focus on publishing in nature, science, cell, PNAS, or, or, or field journals in your own specific field, which are highly ranked. But um, uh, not doing that would harm your uh, own career. So um, that, that, there's something uh, problematic there. Um, for instance, like striving for open science. So we see that we have a lot of discussion with established publishers. Uh, um, and, and people know uh, the names and people have difficulties. It's like they are making a lot of money on this. And, um, and for instance, the Royal Academy of, of Sciences and uh, we as Utrecht Young Academy, uh, uh, on a smaller note, try to change that situation. And we do that not by definition for the benefit of ourselves. We do that also for, for society because we think it's good for society to have knowledge open, free, transparent, where you can see how it's being developed. So in that way, I think um, um, institutions like the Royal Academy of Sciences and universities have uh, a very noble goal, but they should also be very much aware that they have also an obligation because we are in such a, a privileged uh, position that we should try to <coughs> to adhere to that uh, goal. Is this something that should be solved globally and centrally? Um, I think like we, you can also say like we are the culture, eh? so we are the people who are, so we, so uh, you and I, we are the faculty who evaluate the people, we are the ones who uh, give people the new uh, junior assistant professorships, so um, we can make some changes uh, ourselves in our own department. We can also make changes by being a more pivotal player in academic communities. So um, I'm an associate editor at a large journal and I try to, um, try to um, focus on open science there, um, also in publishing null results and publishing replications, which are in itself very important. So. Um, I think we can be, um, uh, especially if we become more senior uh, academics, uh, we can be more influential and it can also have ripple effects. So for instance, I wrote that op-ed for uh, our journal and other journals are now taking the over. Uh, they say, okay, we also will implement uh, uh, that because they see, um, see the value. So uh, it's maybe sometimes too easy to say like we are caught in a system 
and we uh, cannot change it uh, at all. And e and especially uh, faculty who have tenured positions, who so they are not firing you or me uh, quite easily. You can be a little bit more bold uh, than uh, than some others. So I think there's all, uh, uh, very much also a role for us uh, to uh, to play. Yeah. Last timers, thank you very much.